so glad, hi Corey, so glad to be with you all this morning. Um, I'm reminded, even as we gather, that this particular gathering of people has never been before, may never be again. It's one of the great mysteries of the Church of Jesus Christ that we uh, gather here in this particular way, uh, all of us, and we're also joining with the Church of Jesus Christ around the world, who have been gathering uh, all day, uh, worshiping God in various ways. So I'm so grateful to be with you. And I think everyone here knows, but uh, just in case, for those of you who are with us online who may not know, this church has been through, you all have been through, a really hard thing in this last month. And I think it's important to name it, both for us, but also for those who may not know who are joining us online. So just so you all know, this church has been through this heartbreaking tragedy a month ago, finding out the details of a murder that took place 48 years ago. It's really been an unsolved mystery that has been a hardship in this community since 1975, is my understanding. The disappearance of eight-year-old Gretchen Harrington while she was on her way to vacation Bible school. And we now know that Gretchen was kidnapped and killed by a former pastor of this church. It was unimaginable and a deepest grief, and I know it has cast a dark shadow of horror on this place. We cry out, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. I told Norman, this service of lament and grief that you held here together a month ago was so honest and so heart-wrenching and also so saturated with the love of God. And I want to bless all of you in that, that the story of Trinity and the 70 years that you have been a church together uh, is saturated with the love of God. And God will continue to, in and through you, uh, endure his love for you and for others and um, all the goodness that God has done and will do. So as we gather this morning for worship, I want to bring a word of Jesus' companionship to you uh, as you walk through all of life. I know because you as a church are walking through this, but because we're human and because we're part of a broken world, this is not the only heartache, the only tragedy that you have had in your lives, that you may currently have in your life, and that you will have. So I want to bring a word um, about companioning with Jesus along the way as we go through all of life, these tragedies, but also the ordinary, as well as the mystery and the beauty of life that God calls us to be part of. And I hope that together we can be reminded or learn something about how to continue to journey with Jesus in a way that we open ourselves to his presence and also his transformation in the process. That's my hope. You may have noticed that an interest in grief has been growing in all different fields um, as people recognize the profound impact that grief has on people, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and beyond. Grief can impact us in every area of life. And I, too, have been learning about grief, mostly by going through it, uh, some of the things that Norman has already told you related to those, and also in walking with others. 
But in 20 years, uh, I have never preached specifically on grief. So it's been a gift to me and it's ministered to me to be in God's word, preparing to be with you today. So I'm grateful for that. But one of the things that I learned that's pretty remarkable is that some griefs and losses are so severe that they can actually break people's hearts. I know I met you in the bathroom. You are in the medical field. But there's actually a medical diagnosis known as broken heart syndrome. It's called Takotsubo cardiomyopathy. And it occurs when such extreme grief initiates a chain reaction of biochemical events in the body that is so stressful to the body that it physically changes the shape of a person's heart. It affects the blood flow, causes pain in the chest, difficulty breathing, and in severe cases, if healing does not occur, it can be fatal. I did not know that you can actually die from a broken heart. Grief and heartache are real, and they impact us on so many levels. And what we see in Scripture is that Jesus is acquainted with suffering and grief, and he draws near to people in our suffering and grief and our brokenheartedness. So we're going to look at this really amazing passage where we see Jesus do just that and um, find that he does that for us as well. So let's pray, and we will open up this word. Jesus, would you yourself walk with us in and through your word this morning and meet us by your Holy Spirit? We pray that you would teach us of yourself, and I pray that you would tend to each one who is here and those who are listening away from here. Have your loving way in and through and among us for your glory. Amen. I feel like I might be making a little funny noise. Maybe that's better. Well, let me just share a little bit of context. We're going to jump into Luke 24. Um, and it takes place, this passage, on the road between Emmaus and Jerusalem. And this is a passage, This we believe this is the actual road, the road to Emmaus between Jerusalem. And this is really a passage about people in grief. And they were in a very heartbreaking situation themselves. So just to back up about a week, all of the Jews had traveled to Jerusalem for the annual Passover festival that they would celebrate the rescue of God's people from slavery. But instead of just the lambs being sacrificed for this festival to commemorate Israel's rescue, Jesus' followers and many, many others experienced instead and also the terror of his crucifixion on what we now call Good Friday. So they witnessed the violence and horror of his brutal death, and that dark night turned into Saturday, and we are told that Jesus and disciples, the 12 and other followers, observed the Sabbath there in Jerusalem, the first Holy Saturday. And we can only imagine the grief that they were experiencing, the flashbacks they probably had of the day before, watching the agony that Jesus endured, the heartache of losing their beloved leader and friend, the guilt on, of the different ways that they weren't there for him and the ways that they had asked him to be, their fear and confusion. They had put their hope and their trust in Jesus, and now he was dead. And their lives themselves were in a really vulnerable place. They must have wondered if the same thing might happen to them. How in the world would they go on? And then what we know is the first thing on Sunday morning, a small group of women, heavy in their grief, went to the tomb, really in faithfulness, to prepare Jesus' body for burial. But when they got there, 
Jesus' body was gone. And nothing was as they had expected. So our passage actually picks up later that same day, this Sunday morning. So we're going to read Luke 24. It's a pretty long passage, but it is, I think, one of the richest gospel texts. So let me invite you um, to, if you want to, close your eyes and listen. Maybe imagine yourself even on this road with Jesus and the disciples as we read Luke 24, verses 13 to 35. Now on that same day, Two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. Because it's almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I think this is an amazing text, and there is so much in here. And this morning, I simply want to highlight three different things that Jesus does for his disciples while they are on this grieving journey. I believe it was true for them on this first Easter Sunday morning, and I believe it's true for us today. So the first thing that I want to call out, and it might seem so obvious, but it is so significant, and if it was the only thing that we see in this text, it is enough. First, we see that Jesus walks along with his disciples in their grief. It says, while they were talking with each other about everything that happened, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
It's amazing. Jesus himself, the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things together, whose death and resurrection saved the world, is the one who came and joined these two disciples the very day of their suffering and their grief and their confusion. And what we see here in Jesus is that he listened to them. He asked them questions. He let them process all the things. He did not rush on to the answers. He did not rush onto scripture. He walked with them in their grief patiently. And when they were so sad that they couldn't even keep going, when they stopped walking and maybe even snapped at Jesus, did you hear that? When they said, are you the only one who doesn't know what happened? Jesus simply asked them to continue sharing and processing and kept walking with them. He didn't pull away. There is a theologian named Kasuke Koyama who wrote a book of biblical reflections called The Three Mile an Hour God. And I think this is really interesting. And it's the idea that there's just a general pace that average human beings kind of walk about and move about life, which is about a 20-minute mile pace, three miles an hour, he would say. And he says, because the speed that we walk, that's the speed that God walks with us in his love for us. Kind of a creative idea. But he says this that I thought was so helpful when we see this passage. He says, every time we see Jesus traversing from one city to another, he's walking. More profoundly, the New Testament speaks about those who Jesus walked alongside. He walked with outcasts, disciples, and family members, and he walked at their pace. He walked with them through sickness Sorrow, misunderstanding, sin, abandonment, and death. He never rushed. He never sped ahead. Love does that. It walks the speed of another. But what happens when three miles an hour is far too fast? What about the reality of sorrow and loss? What about the seasons of life where it feels impossible to put one foot in front of the other? God's taken name in Christ means he is with us. He does not qualify his name. There are no exceptions to his witness. The sandaled God walks with us every step of the way, no matter the speed. He's not just the three mile an hour God. He is the one mile an hour God. And even the God that comes to a standstill. I love that. And I've read it so many times and it still gets me that he is with us Whatever pace we are walking, the heart of Jesus is to journey with us in our grief, no matter if we are standing still or we are moving forward. And perhaps like these disciples, you have had a loss that has been so undoing that it has changed your whole life. You might mark your life before and after a certain event that has occurred, a loss of someone you love. A decline in your health, a betrayal, an accident, a loss of your sense of purpose, leaving a place or a community, perhaps this tragedy that you are all facing now. As Norman said, uh, in my own life, the last three years have been a journey through grief, and it began with something really good. My husband got this out-of-the-blue call to serve here in Philadelphia, which moved us across the country during COVID. And the change has brought a lot of goodness for our family, but it was also a rapid upheaval of change and loss during an already lonely and stressful time. And I left the 16-year-old ministry and a community that I deeply love. 
And the transition has been a deep grief for me on a number of levels for a number of reasons that I won't go into. But the last three years have been a surprisingly slow and painful journey that I did not expect. I think it's one of the reasons that I'm so drawn to this passage of journey, journeying with Jesus through grief. And I wonder if you, like me, could use the reminder that Jesus and the power and presence of his Holy Spirit is always with you, no matter what your journey looks like. God comes near. So not only does Jesus walk with us in our grief, but I think one of the things that we see in this passage is that Jesus also teaches his disciples in their grief. So along with the gentle, tender presence that Jesus offered, he takes this time to remind the disciples what they already know and even to teach them more about himself. And his words, how foolish you are, how slow of heart to understand, are really understood by scholars as this gentle, even playful rebuke. Jesus used their confusion and their grief on this journey to teach and to explain the scriptures to them. And I believe he does that for us as well. He reveals himself in all sorts of ways and certainly through his scripture. And it's often when we are disoriented and when we are open and needing to hear that God does his best work of teaching us about himself. So if you were like me, I was really curious, what scriptures would Jesus have referenced? Would he have spoken to these disciples about? It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So I just wondered, how much of that seven-mile walk did they get to actually listen to Jesus talk about Old Testament texts with the Jesus who was just resurrected from the dead? How amazing to think about that. So their hearts were burning within them, and later their eyes were opened. So I just used kind of holy imagination and what we know about Jesus and scripture. And one of the things that we know is that the prophet Isaiah was very important to Jesus' understanding of his own ministry. Many would say that Isaiah 61 in particular was really Jesus' life mission statement. And the first red letter words of Jesus that we see in the Gospel of Luke from the same uh, gospel are Jesus reading Isaiah 61. So they're recorded at the very beginning of his public ministry when Jesus was in the synagogue. And Luke 4 says that the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to Jesus as he was uh, in the synagogue. And he found the place of Isaiah 61 where it's written. So the first words we have recorded in Luke are this. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus was in the synagogue and they were wondering about who he was, this is what he proclaimed from Isaiah 61, perhaps his mission statement. And then it goes on to say in Isaiah 61, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. This is really amazing to me, especially as we talk about Jesus being with us in our grief, that Jesus's life mission was to proclaim good news and comfort to the brokenhearted, to the grieving to the mourning people of the world. 
I wonder how different our world would be if people knew this essential thing about Jesus, that he came to comfort and to bind up the brokenhearted, to replace our darkness and despair with freedom and joy in him. We need to be reminded of this grace and comfort and truth when we are brokenhearted, when we are in grief, when we are in times of beauty and strength. So I want to ask you, what is Jesus teaching you right now about himself? Is there something that he is revealing to you about himself? Maybe something that you have known and forgotten. Maybe something new. Is Jesus opening your eyes to something about himself? Are you listening? Are you paying attention to what Jesus is teaching? Jesus walks with us in our grief. He teaches us about himself in our grief as our hearts are tender and open. And before we highlight this third thing that we see Jesus responding to, I just want to mention something else that I think is really important about this journey in this passage. Did you notice that there are two disciples journeying together? Ruth Haley Barton is one of my favorite authors and theologians, and she writes a lot about this companionship of the two disciples along the way. And one of the things she says is that we see that the two of them are walking together and talking about everything that happened. And in part, we can say, well, of course, what else would they talk about? But when you think about times of crisis in your life, isn't it the case that often we avoid talking about the things that are difficult to talk about? We avoid talking about the things that break our hearts. And we are actually quick to talk about everything else that's going on instead of those things that feel difficult, at least until we get through to the other side of that crisis, when we can be kind of looking in the rearview mirror and feel like, oh, I can make sense of it. And to be fair, it is a rare companion, I think, whom you can talk about everything with them. Someone who, like Jesus, will stand with you in the middle of the road while you don't even have the strength to put one foot in front of the other. While you are too sad to keep going and not rush you along. The ones who will tell you with their life and love, I am no fair weather friend. I am with you on the road till the end. And I know that I have been changed by the non-judgmental, loving, empathetic people who have drawn near to me when I am at my lowest Who, like Jesus, can ask gentle questions, speak grace and truth, point me to Jesus, and continue to walk alongside me. So I also want to say, if you have a partner or a friend or a counselor or a spiritual director who does that with you and for you, you have one of the greatest treasures in life. We need one another to companion together and to walk alongside Many scholars believe that this um, was a husband and wife, Cleopas and Mary. And Mary is mentioned in all four of the Gospels as the other Mary who is at the tomb uh, with the women. And in this time when women weren't even able to study the Torah, when often there was great distance between men and women in society and women were thought of as a second class of citizens, what we see over and over again, especially in the Gospel of Luke, is that Jesus companions with women and men. Jesus teaches scripture to women 
and men, and often lifts up godly women and men as examples of faithfulness throughout uh, the Gospels. So as Christians, we remember that Jesus, our Lord and leader, is one who came to bring comfort and hope to all people. And we are invited to do the same, to walk in that way with him, to companion together with one another, and to encourage one another and not to go alone. So Jesus walks with us in our grief. He teaches us in our grief. And I think what we also see here is that Jesus transforms his disciples in the midst of their grief. And I think this is one of the places where we find beauty in the brokenness of life. It doesn't make the evil horrors of the world okay. It does not negate suffering and loss. But we can trust that grief will be used by God and not wasted. As Jesus walks with us through our grief and teaches us in our grief, he also transforms us. And there is hope there. I don't know if you noticed, but it was the very same hour that Jesus broke bread with the disciples that their eyes were opened, that they recognized Jesus. And it says that they turned right around and began that journey back on the road, back those seven miles to Jerusalem to be with the people where all of that tragedy had happened. What a different journey it was that time as they went back on that road. They had a new understanding of Jesus They had a new understanding of the world because they had walked so intimately together with him in their grief, and they were taught by him along the way, and that transformed them. It gave them a new understanding of Jesus' hope for the world. And I believe that that's what Jesus does with us in some of our most vulnerable places, that as he walks with us, as he teaches us, he actually transforms us and sends us back into the world. And I have to tell you, just yesterday, as I was finishing up this sermon, I realized something that I had never noticed before. And um, this was, again, a gift to me. But in the early months in the upheaval of our move, I remembered that I had this deep ache in the left side of my chest. And it was so persistently painful and concerning that I went to the doctor. I am kind of one of those people who just tries to tough it out, but I went to the doctor to have it looked at because I was getting so concerned. They did a full exam and had multiple people look at me, ordered a mammogram and scans and all that stuff, and found nothing. And as I waited through that um, physical pain, as I waited through much of the emotional pain, um, that deep ache eventually uh, lessened and healed. But after all that I have learned about grief since that time, I now wondering, I'm now wondering if I was actually suffering from a medically undiagnosed breaking heart. I think probably so. And it explains why sometimes I felt like I couldn't quite catch my breath or sleep or do much besides the most basic things of life. My grief has been and sometimes still is debilitating for me at times. This road of recovery and rest and renewal with the Lord has been transformative in many ways. But perhaps most of all, what I'm realizing even this weekend as I spend time with you is that it's been most transformative because I realize who Jesus is more deeply and what he has done for me. 
And this word, this mission statement of Jesus, that he has been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, I feel myself being retaught the scriptures by Jesus even now, that my eyes have been opened in a new way. Because now I see that I am actually one of the brokenhearted that Jesus came to bind up. It's not just about people out there who need comfort and love. It's about me and my broken heart and you and your broken heart, all of us together are burning hearts within us that God has come to bind up in Jesus. Jesus' companionship is our greatest gift for us and for others. So it's been really sweet to me to realize that I am one who needs to have my heart bound up in Jesus, that I need his companionship and I need his care in my grief as I continue to walk that road of healing. Henry Nouwen says that no one escapes life without wounds. He says we are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. But he says when our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we become wounded healers. And Jesus is the ultimate wounded healer, the one who died and was resurrected and now reigns with God and has given us his spirit that we would be transformed in him. And I hope for all of us in our ongoing transformation of healing that we will walk close companionship with Jesus and let him bind up our broken hearts and heal us, that we might be sent to be people who follow in his way, that we would be people who would walk alongside and be binders up of broken hearts in the world, that he would use us not only to be transformed, but to be a transforming, um, loving presence in the world. That's my hope for you individually and as a church. So let me pray for you, and then we'll continue in our worship. Jesus, our wounded healer, one who binds up broken hearts. We are so grateful that you are one who is acquainted with suffering yourself and therefore your tenderness and care to be able to walk alongside us with so much grace and so much truth. God, I pray for all who are here and all who are listening God, that we uh, would trust you more deeply, that we would yield our broken hearts to you and know your loving kindness, your presence, your care. God, that you would be healing us, that you would be walking alongside us as we journey. And as we experience your grace, your truth, your healing, God, that you would restore us and that you would allow us to join you in that work of being ones who draw near to the brokenhearted and speak words of grace and truth as well. So bless this people, Trinity, as individuals, collectively, that you would um, draw near and that they would draw near to you. pray all this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.